Chicago, one of our largest cities in the United States, kind of known for its violence, isn't it? A lot of tragedy happens there, a lot of things that are not always very pleasant. Well, a while ago, three women, one was, uh, two of them were in their 20s, one was in their 30s, they were killed in Chicago. And normally we're kind of going, oh, that's too bad, so what else is new? But this particular accident happened when part of a 25-foot aluminum scaffold fell in the high winds from the 43rd floor of John Hancock Center. Now, these three women were in their cars, unsuspecting of any danger, just sitting there in Chicago streets when the incident occurred. Sunday, Chicago Tribune headline stayed, Tragedy at the Hancock. And then the tragedy, September 11th, 2001, one of those days that we never forget in our country. Hopefully we don't. And it's the day the terrorists flew planes into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City and the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., killing 3,063 innocent people. And this horrific assault has been labeled the day that changed America. It has to a large extent, isn't it? Especially if you've done any travel. Tragedy. Hard to understand. I mean, hard to explain. And kind of hard on our faith, too, isn't it? Now, some folks lay the blame for all that happens at the feet of God, and they become bitter and cynical towards him. God, what kind of God are you? If you're a good God, you don't let these bad things happen. I don't think you exist, or if you do, you're impotent, and you don't care about people. Whew. A lot of folks go that route. And they ask for explanations, but seem to get silence. Ask for understanding. End up baffled. Life can be a mystery, no question about it. Now, much of what happens in life is beyond us. I hope you grasp that. I think you do. We don't always understand why some folks have cancer and some folks don't. Why are some folks involved in tragic accidents? Why do some folks suffer premature heart attacks? Why do some folks live in constant pain while others live relatively trouble-free lives? Well, even if we are able to explain those things, we probably wouldn't be satisfied. We want, you know, more than that, we crave to make sense of things. We seek explanation. And we're desperate for reasons why. Well, we need to understand, my friends, one fundamental truth that is inherent throughout all of Scripture. And that is this. God doesn't always, in fact, most of the time, doesn't explain himself. He rarely gives the full reasons why. So that the events that unfold in our world seldom make complete sense to us. They didn't back then, and they oftentimes don't today. We're therefore confronted with a basic tenet of Christianity, and that's this. The righteous shall live by F-A-I-T-H. Well, perhaps one of the greatest expressions of solid faith ever penned came from our Old Testament spokesman for this morning, Habakkuk. Uh, he's a guy we don't often spend much time on. We do Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and we get Daniel thrown in there. We get Moses, a lot of these guys. But Habakkuk, how much do you know about him? Not a whole lot, usually. Uh, most of the prophets, all those that I referred to earlier, generally spoke to the people for God. They're saying, thus saith the Lord, and then explains to the folks what is expected of them. But Habakkuk, he turned things around. He ended up speaking to God on behalf of the people. Now, he lived in a time that was hard on faith. 
We kind of think that might be hard on our faith living today here in the United States or the West or in 2022. But things were not all that great back then either, some 2,700 years ago. Habakkuk saw that the good folks were suffering and the wicked folks were prospering. And he probably said the same thing that we say today. It's not fair. And it wasn't. And so he asked God two questions. I'm guessing the same two questions that you ask and that I ask. Why? And secondly, how long? Why are these things happening, Lord? And how long is it going to be before they're rectified? Come on, God. Well, God made it clear to Habakkuk that the Babylonian nation, that was the, the powers that be at that time, kind of the United States, Russia, China, that was their counterpart back then. They were the powerful world rulers of that time, modern-day Iraq, Iran, that whole area of the, of the world. They were powerful and oftentimes very brutal. And it just puzzled Habakkuk and the folks back then why God would use such a harsh and rough bunch as an instrument of judgment on the Hebrew people. What? Habakkuk had to think. Those vicious, cruel, arrogant foreigners? They would conquer God's people? That's not fair, God. Come on, get your act together. They'd make life miserable for the Israelites. All with God's approval? I don't like it, God. Now listen to me. It does make sense to me that Habakkuk didn't understand because that's often the case for myself. Therefore, God had to remind Habakkuk and that therefore the people that Habakkuk spoke to, that he, talking about himself, God, that he was God, not Habakkuk. God made the world. God oversees it. God controls it. Not Habakkuk. Not the Israelites. Not you and me. God was telling Habakkuk, in essence, you're going to have to trust me on this one, son. You're going to have to trust me. Even though you don't understand it completely, <laughs> I know what I'm doing, and I know why I'm doing it, and I'm not necessarily going to be telling you why I'm doing it. You've got to trust me, son. You've got to trust me. How easy is that to do? It's not, is it? Now, the formal wording of our text for this morning puts it in a more familiar language of the Bible. Habakkuk 2, verse 4 says, The righteous will live by his faith. Simple words. That's one of the hallmark words that we in the Lutheran church use regularly. Luther focused on that many times. Righteous will live by faith. Not works, not the things you do, but by that confidence and trust we have in God. So Habakkuk was smart enough to realize that though he didn't understand the ways of God and didn't always agree with the timing of God, can you relate to that one? Still, he couldn't doubt the wisdom and the love or the reliability of God. I mean, he heard about it his entire life, and over the years that he was serving as a prophet, he had witnessed it in his own life, that he didn't always understand, but he could depend that God was indeed reaching out in loving fashion. And so it's at that point of resignation that Habakkuk wrote his great affirmation of faith. And here's what he said in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. He said, though the fig tree does not bud and there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, here we go, yet I will triumph, I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk got it. Habakkuk accepted the fact that even if everything he relied on failed, 
If everything that gave stability to his life crumbled, still, he trusted the Lord. I've thought about that, and if Habakkuk were speaking today, I'm guessing he would say something like this. Though the scaffolding in Chicago falls on innocent people, though the stock market crashes and my future is encrumbled economically, though the company I work for and the products that they make grows bankrupt, though the supply chains don't bring me my products that I need when I need them, though the economy is heading south, though the political scene seems to be in disarray, though everything I rely on, still, I will trust in the Lord. Corey Tenboom has always been one of my favorite gals. Uh, she knew something about tragedy and suffering. Concentration camp, her sister died in prison, uh, and all this going on in World War II. And upon emerging from the Nazi concentration camp, she was one of the fortunate ones. At the end of World War II, back in the 1940s, she said this. Uh, it's been quoted many times, and I think it's so profound. She said, there's no pit so deep that God isn't deeper still. That's one of those things you kind of mull over in your mind. Because I think she picked a pretty apt analogy because pain and tragedy, I think you're familiar with that stuff. They are a pit, aren't they? And if maybe you're experiencing troubles, or maybe you got some pains, maybe you got some horrible tragedy going on right now, maybe grief, it sure feels like you're at the bottom of a deep, dark pit with steep walls and no way out, doesn't it? Well, for many folks who are there now, maybe you're there, maybe online if you're watching, Maybe you've got a loved one who's going through it right now. Maybe you've been there in the past. This, this overwhelming sense that things are horrible and you feel that God's deserted you in the most difficult time of your life. You want to shake your fist at him. You feel God wasn't there. He let me down. He deserted you. He left you in your misery. What kind of God is that? My friends, Corey Tenboom, like Habakkuk, reminds us that even in the pits of tragedy, God is still there. He is present. He's not absent. He's there. Yes, pain's real. But God's real too. And that's where faith comes in. Because faith reminds us that there can be a design for your lives that we just can't see right now. But in time, hopefully, maybe this lifetime, maybe not. But in time, we'll come to trust in the love of God. But it's that interval time, isn't it? between now and when we spend the rest of our lives in heaven. It's that in-between time, right now, between what we would say is illogic and logic, between misunderstanding and understanding, between questions and answers. It's in that time where you and I live today that we must believe in God. The wall of a concentration camp, a prisoner had carved these words, and they've been quoted many times, and I love them. They say, I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I cannot feel it. I believe in God even when he's silent. Over a marble fireplace in the mathematics building at Princeton University out east, uh, written in original German, is this scientific credo, which also goes along the same line and makes sense. It says there on that mantle, God is subtle, but he's not malicious. I like that. I've thought about that a lot. He's subtle. You don't always see how things are happening in the interaction of life. But he's not malicious. He's not out to get you. He's not trying to trip you up. He's never malicious in his dealings with us, and that's important to keep in mind. And whatever he does, he does for our ultimate and eternal good, whether sending or allowing. 
And that's why the Apostle Paul, he, he said it very well, I think, one of my favorite passages. He spoke of the kindness of God and his amazing grace when he wrote this from Romans 8, 28 and 29. Very familiar words. He wrote, we know that in all things they work together for the good of those who love God. All things for those who love God. This is not a generic promise to anybody in the world. It's not. It's a very focused promise. Those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, these verses are as important for what they don't say as what they do say. There's stuff that it doesn't say there that actually plays into our understanding of God in our life. You notice these verses from Paul in Romans 8, they don't say everything that happens is good. It's not. There's some stinky stuff out there. This verse doesn't say that God causes everything to happen. He doesn't. We're pretty good at making our own troubles and problems at times. It doesn't say that everything will turn out okay for everyone. It won't. But what it does say is that God is at work in the world, especially in the lives of his children, you and me. And his glorious purpose is to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. And to that good end, God can and does use all things. Those good things, we say, ooh, thank you, Lord. And the bad, they would go, ooh, bad. That which he causes, and that which he only permits. It also assures us that no experience has to be a total waste. It's kind of hard to think that way at times, isn't it? If we give it to God, he'll take that experience, whatever it might be, the good or the bad, and bring something good out of it. And faith believes that God always knows best and does what's best. And this is the part I don't like. In his time. Arr, I want it in my time. Come on, God, right now, when I want it. Uh-uh, in his time. And what happens when we try and force the timetable of God? Don't we sometimes get deeper into trouble? For example, that I like to use in um, springtime, summertime, when you see these caterpillars crawling around, getting on the trees and plants, and, and then they make this chrysalis, this thing hanging from a branch or leaf or something like that. They, they form a cocoon and, uh, on the yard or in the, in the, in the trees somewhere. But you see these cocoons at different times of the year, in spring, summer, fall. And well, this particular guy went out in his backyard. He was intrigued by what he saw, and he decided to watch it change over the days. Well, one day he saw a tiny little butterfly in the delicate covering that he was watching. He could see it starting to move around, and it seemed to be struggling. And he watched and just intrigued by it. He could see that it looked like it was ready to go and just trying to break out of its captivity. And finally, the man, out of compassion and care, he thought, became so frustrated, he decided to use a razor blade to make just a tiny slit on the side of the cocoon. Well, some of you are kind of going, oh, because you know what happens, don't you? He was going to help that little butterfly in order to free the struggling insect. But soon afterward, the butterfly got out. That's true. He was free. But he couldn't fly and finally ended up dying prematurely. See, the sad reality is that little butterfly in that cocoon needed that struggle to get the blood flowing into its fragile wings so that they would be strengthened and allow that butterfly to flutter off in the big, beautiful world as God intended. You see the application? There are times of trials in your life. 
We want to short circuit the maturation process. We want to help our kids. We want to help ourselves, our loved ones. We want to speed things along rather than watching someone struggle. Well, God actually was wanting to prepare that individual or ourselves for a greater work or a new phase of life, like the butterfly. See, oftentimes it's only in the struggling that we obtain that strength, in part because we realize we don't have the strength alone, that we need some other strength. And faith believes that when we cannot trace the hand of God, and this is probably the major takeaway for the day, so pay attention if you've been sleeping the rest of the time. Faith believes that when we can't trace the hand of God, in other words, we can't see what he's doing, we must trust the heart of God. Trust the heart of God. Well, Habakkuk presented a great affirmation of faith. He said, Yahweh, Hebrew word for God. Hebrew, my Lord is my strength. That's where the strength comes from. My strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer, enables me to walk on mountain heights. He's using an analogy the folks back then would get. The deer that Habakkuk is referring to was a, was a mountain-climbing deer known for its sure and steady feet. And even on the most treacherous terrain, it never fell. Well, that's the analogy that Habakkuk is using, that this is the promise from the Lord, that he'll keep us on our feet as we travel the treacherous paths of life. He may not get us out of the troubles. We may be climbing up and down those mountains. But he promises to get us through. And, of course, the ultimate proof of that promise is what? Found in Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus came to this planet, he assumed the full range of human feelings, emotions, and understandings. Even more than mere humanity, he took on the entire load of human sin. Jesus took upon himself the sins that had separated corrupt and sinful human beings from that perfect and holy God. And we know that by Jesus' death on that cross 2,000 years ago, the penalty for sin, what is it? Death paid for completely and freely. And because of what Jesus did for you and me, my friends, our sins are forever forgiven, all of them. And we are now guaranteed a spot in heaven for all eternity because of that faith connection that we have with God. Well, maybe your life is so dark right now that you can't see God's face, kind of shaking your head and going, maybe the darkness of the night, the, the fierceness of the storm in your life. Maybe the frailness of your faith causes you to wonder if God's there, yeah? To wonder if God cares? Let me finish this up with a little story about a young husband who lost his wife to cancer. He's left alone in the world to raise their young daughter. And the father and daughter's first night alone in the big house, oh boy, that wasn't easy. Dinner table, desperately lonely, that dinner table. As bedtime came that evening, <laughs> of course, as luck would have it, Electrical storm broke out, and lines were down, and their house ended up suddenly without electricity. Dark, still, quiet, empty. Well, when the daddy finally tucked his little girl into bed, the room was pitch dark. Daddy, are you there? Yes, sweetheart, I'm here. Daddy, I can't see you. Sweetheart, I'm here. I'm talking with you, aren't I? Daddy. Oh, I've never been so scared in my life before. Sweetheart, I'm here. Trust me, everything's going to be okay. And with those words of assurance, the little girl put her head on the pillow, fell asleep. Well, the dad then makes his 
way down that long, lonely walk to the hall, of the hall to his own bedroom. And the storm continued to blow and howl against the house. It was so dark, he couldn't see his hand in front of his face. And lightning suddenly flashed across the sky, lighting up the bedroom momentarily. And then the darkness draped the room again like a black velvet cloth. But getting into bed, the widower stared up at the ceiling. His heart felt like the room, dark, empty, and stormy. He turned his heart towards heaven. Father, are you there? He felt the assurance of God saying, yes, son, I'm here. Father, I, I can't see you. Son, I'm here. I'm talking with you, aren't I? Oh, Father, I've never been this scared before. Son, I'm here. Trust me. Everything's going to be okay. And with that assurance of heart, the dad put his head on the pillow and fell fast asleep. What's the point? God, my friend, is here for you too. And he'll never leave you. That's his promise. Never. He cared too much for you. Even if the night is dark, the storm is raging, know that God's here. Even when you can't see the hand of God, what? You can trust the heart of God. May God keep us in that faith and strength for Jesus' sake. Amen.